It's an evening of old-time radio. those people who like to know the answer? Have you a logically and analytically nature? Does murder and the mystery fascinate you? It does, huh? Well, get out the magnifying glass, Sherlock. I think it's time for a crime. Sure. This is Peter Lorre opening again the doors of the mystery playhouse. And tonight, we bring you detective mystery, and you're all invited to try to solve it, along with another amateur dick, a guy named Jonathan Pierce. Mr. Pierce earns his three squares a day selling antiques, but his real love is criminology, a hobby that seems to make his life uh, Anything but doubt. Well, let's uh, give Mr. Pierce a run for his hobby, huh? Mm-hmm. <laughs> let's try and beat him to the solution of tonight's mystery. Clues will be all there. So let's look alive now, mates, and get the answers to a crime to take the punishment. <laughs> Our scene opens in the antique shop of Jonathan Pierce. With him is a friend, Betty Hughes. Look, Jonathan, why don't you give up this antique shop and become a full-fledged private detective? After all, you've been very successful. Besides, I'm yearning for a life of excitement and mystery. Meaning? Meaning I'll be your assistant. Uh Uh-uh, nothing doing. If I need an assistant, it won't be a woman. Hmm. You'd probably faint the first time a mug said boo at you. Faint? Well, of course I'd faint if that was a thing to do. Furthermore, I think that... Some other time here comes the customer. Young man, are you Jonathan Pierce? I am. What can I do for you, sir? That's what I'm here to find out. Uh, Who's the young lady? Oh, this is... Never mind answering. I was young once myself. Pierce, I want to hire your services as a private detective. How did you know that... I am David Warlock. Used to be called Warlock Tycoon, filthy with money. All the Warlocks are, so I'm able to pay well. Well, that's very nice. My but son I... Teddy is about to be blackmailed. Actually, my adopted son. His father was my business partner before he died, and he knew Freddy was a weak-willed lad, so he wanted me to look after him and his inheritance. He goes by my name now, and I won't stand for blackmail. Blackmail? Do you have any? Don't pro- interrupt, Pierce. Not through yet. Freddy's been playing around with a young lady named Reese Day, a gambler by the name of Lance Norman. Nothing wrong with women and gambling. <laughs> Like both myself. <laughs> but these two are bad ones. Oh, and you think they're blackmailing your son? Uh, your, your adopted son? Going to blackmail him, or rather me. Well, how's that? Well, it amounts to blackmailing him. But they have to come to me because I still control his inheritance. Oh. Are you a detective, young lady? Why not? Well, then don't ask questions and waste my time. Uh, Mr. Warlock, wh- what did you mean by saying that they're going to blackmail you? Well, I had a phone call yesterday, just after I got back from Mortonville. <clears throat> I mean, uh, from uptown. 
mysterious voice said he had something concerning my son which he wanted to sell. Didn't identify himself, but said he'd call again in a day or two. I see. Well, you'll, uh, you'll give me a free hand in dealing with this uh, blackmailer? Completely. Now, Pierce, here's a $500 retainer. Oh? I want you to come to my house, meet my son, and the two I suspect of being back of this blackmail scheme. I'll drive you out. All right. Oh, but there, there is uh, one more question, sir, I've been trying to ask since you came in here. How did you come to hire me? I suppose it's because you heard of my reputation in solving a few little crimes that baffled the police. On the contrary. Ever heard anything like that? Oh. Take a bow, Sherlock. Quiet character. Well, then, uh... <laughs> well, why, Mr. Warlock? Well, I always liked the name of Pierce. I once was in love with a woman named Pierce 30 years ago. Hmm. Always hired people named Pierce since then. Chauffeur's name Pierce. Butler's name Pierce. Gardner's name Pierce. Oh, it sounds very logical to me. It would to you. Uh, mm. Now, Jonathan, I want you to come over to my house and size up the situation. Are you ready to go? Oh, I'll say we are. Not you, young lady. You're staying here. Now, listen here, Jonathan Pierce. I'm going to hate you if you turn to one of those big, stronger women's places in the home, men. Goodbye, dear. Just use some of that slow burn to keep the home fires cooking. Well, this is my little home, Jonathan, my boy. Uh, that was Pierce who left it in. Oh. I imagine that we'll find Freddy and his friends in the library, so come. Right. I'll leave you with them for a few minutes so you can size them up. Well, how are you going to explain me to them, Mr. Warlock? Oh, don't worry about that. Now then, here we are. Well, good afternoon, everybody. I want you all to meet a young friend of mine, Mr. Jonathan Pierce. Jonathan, this is Miss Peter Dane, Mr. Lance Norman, and my son, Freddie Warlock. I'll leave you to get acquainted. Um, goodbye. Well. Uh-huh. Uh, not so well. It, uh, it would seem that Mr. Warlock does not exactly possess the delicate touch. Uh, he is screwy. Who are you, Tim? Oh, I thought you knew. Well, I'm Jonathan Pierce. And you're Lance Norman, the Lido Club. Fast gambling for fast people. And what do you do? You don't look like a bodyguard or a keyhole snooper. Oh, I haunt houses. I've just been hired to haunt this one. A wise guy. Every time a guy starts talking wise like that, you want to watch him. He's liable to start lifting the silverware. Now, you look here, Pierce. Did my father hire you to snoop on us? He's always hiring people named Pierce. Well, if he did, you might as well know I'm going to marry Rita whether he wants me to or not. <laughs> all I got to do is wait another six months. Then I get all my own door and I can do just as I please, you see? Oh, don't bother explaining to him, Freddy Dog. Now, look, both of you keep quiet and let me handle this. Look, chum, I don't like the way the old man dumped you in here and walked off. What's the payoff? Well, we might as well get everything straight. I'm an antique dealer. Mm. Whose hobby is playing detective, huh? Uh, something like that. A shameless, huh? Gee, they're even getting private cops now who wear neckties. I thought I smelled copper when you walked in. Well, uh, get this, cop. These two kids are in love. They're floating on the clouds. I'm not surprised. The kid's breath has enough alcohol on it to make me float on the clouds, too. I suppose the old man pays you for being funny. Mm -hmm. Anyway, these kids can't live without each other, see? So just keep your nose out of the picture, Lord. It might get stepped on. How touching. And I suppose you're the marriage broker. Or maybe you're just here to chaperone them. Well, what is it, Pierce? I beg your pardon, but Mr. Warlock would like to see Mr. Jonathan Pierce in his den immediately. Oh, thank you, Pierce. I'll uh, be seeing you later, lad. I can hardly wait, Seamus. You wanted to see me, Mr. Warlock? Yes, Jonathan. 
here on the telephone. It's the blackmailer I told you about. Oh. Pierce recognized it as the same voice as called yesterday, and I wanted you to listen in on my conversation with him. You can use that extension over there. Oh, all right. Hello? This is Warlock speaking. This is the same guy that called you yesterday, Warlock. I got a little piece of paper about your son that the police would like to get their fingers on. But I, uh, might be willing to sell it. Eh? Um, how much? Five grand. You want to talk about it, or do I go to the cup? No, 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 no. I'll, I'll talk about it. I won't meet to myself, but I'll send someone I can trust. You name the place. Okay. Send the guy to 4527 Fernando Place. Tell him to ring the bell under the name of Clip Matson. I'll let him in. If he's got the five grand, we'll talk. Are you Mr. Matson? Never mind who I am. Just do as I say. And Warlock. Yes? Don't try any fancy stuff. Or your son will end up in a big house. Tell that guy to hurry up. You heard him, Jonathan? Yes. Hmm. I've got $5,000 right here, and you'll take it with you. I leave it up to your judgment as to whether to give it to him or not. But remember one thing. What's that? If Lance Norman and Rita Dane are back of this, as I suspect they are, I'll pay any amount over and above this to pin it on them. Now, you go see this clip, Manson, and see what you can do. Yeah? What do you want? Are you Clip Matson? Maybe I am, and maybe I ain't. What are you selling, Mac? <laughs> My name is Jonathan Pierce. I am representing David Warlock. Oh, okay, I'm Matson. Come in. Did you bring the dough? Maybe. First, I want to see what you're offering to sell. And while you're at it, Matson, maybe you'd like to make another $5,000 all for yourself. What do you mean? I mean that the name of the man who's working this with you is worth another $5,000 to you. I don't know what you're talking about, Mac. There ain't nobody in this with me. Oh? I just found this. This information I'm offering to sell, that's all. Well, they tell me it gets awfully lonesome up in Sing Sing. Now, wait a minute, Mac. You don't want to talk like that to me. I might get scared and decide I ought to turn this over to the cops. Maybe I ought to anyway. Suit yourself. We're really more interested in getting the name of the man back of you than in anything else. I might be able to raise the price a but, little. But I tell you... Hey, what's the idea walking in here, mister? What's going on? Oh! You suck this. What's the idea? Okay. Okay, I got my hands up. Hey! Take it easy with that gun. No! Oh. You... Jonathan! Jonathan, wake up! Jonathan! What? Oh, hello. Hello. So this is what heaven's like. Now stop that, Jonathan. Are you hurt? No, no, Betty, no. Outside of a lump on my head. Oh, oh, boy, it could serve as a road marker. A headache and a certain loss of pride, I feel fine, just fine. Ah. Did Clip Matson get away? I don't think so. There's a man over here on the floor, but I haven't asked him his name because he's dead. Dead? But how? 
Well, I'm not up on these things, Johnson, but I imagine the two bullet holes in him have something to do with it. Bullet holes? Oh, I remember now. I sort of heard two shots just as I was drifting out of this world. Onto the nose. Yeah, let's see. Yes, that's Cliff Matson, all right. But why? Well, maybe somebody didn't like him. Oh, you're a big help. By the way, what are you doing here? I thought I left you at the store. Well, you did, darling, but you see, I'm the type that feels men need looking after, oh. so I followed you. Uh, first to Warlock, and then here, and you ought to be grateful. Well, it's touching to know that someone is interested in whether I'm alive or dead. Jonathan, what happened? And I was talking to Cliff there. He, well, he was the guy who was trying to blackmail Warlock. Suddenly, somebody came in the door behind me. The murderer! Exactly, my dear Watson. I started to turn around, and the guy slugged me. Huh. All I got a chance to see was a hand wearing a gray glove and the barrel of a gun that was rapidly nearing my head. That's the last I remember, except for the two shots. Boy, some detective I turned out to be. Oh, well, don't be too hard on yourself, Jonathan. It could have happened to anyone. Yeah, sure, sure, but it happened to me. All right, come on. We've got to give this apartment a fast once-over to see if we can find that paper Matson wanted to sell. You take that side. I'll take this side. Well, I finished my side, and I found nothing incriminating. Except to your Cliff Matson. He's not my Cliff Matson. I drew a blank here. Except for one thing. A check signed by Lance Norman. Lance who? Lance Norman. That's the gambler Warlock thinks is back of the blackmailing. All right, come on. We're going to see Mr. Lance Norman at the Lido Club. But I haven't got my chips with me. This is the club, Lido, Betty. If you look around you, you'll see half the elite of our city busily engaged in losing their shirts to Lance Norman. Very exciting, Jonathan. Well, well. Hello there, Sears. Why, Lance, hello. Well, is this a business visit or a social one? Oh, let's call it a business visit, shall we? Uh, is there some place that I can talk to you? Why not? Come on in my office here. Oh, thank you. Come on, you'll be just as safe in here as out on the floor. <laughs> Safer, probably. There don't seem to be any wheels in here. You know, your sense of humor is going to kill me someday. It doesn't kill you first. Mm. Uh, does the chick have a name? Oh, of course, my Not name... Not to you, Lance, no. Do you know a Cliff Matson? I might. And I might not. He probably did a lot of odd jobs for you. Such as blackmail. I don't need any sideline as long as I have this club. It pays off very nicely. Cliff had one of your checks, which he hadn't cashed. Well, I write a lot of checks. Jonathan, he talks exactly like the gamblers in the movies. Well, I like a dame with nerves. <laughs> Anytime you get tired of that dumb Seamus come around and see me, sweetheart. Well, maybe I will. Yes, you do. It'll be on a visiting day, and you'll have to talk to him through bars. Not this week, Seamus. Look, if you've got any more questions to ask, get them over with. If not, get out. Where's your girlfriend, Rita? She's out on the floor. And the warlock boy? He got drunk on us, so we left. Oh, that must have been a touching scene. The parting lovers. Okay, chum, on your way. You're beginning to bore me. We're practically gone. Oh, uh, by the way, Lance, do you own a pair of gray suede gloves? Maybe. And maybe not. Well, your eloquence is touching. Come on, Betty, let's go. You've done enough slumming for one day. <laughs> What do you think you're up to, Jonathan Pierce? 
First we go and visit that gambler, Lance Norman, then we rush over to this apartment house and walk up the stairs, and there's a perfectly good elevator to ride up in. Lance Norman's apartment is on this next floor. Oh, it is. We didn't find the blackmail evidence in Clip's apartment, so now we're going to look in Lance's. There we are. Now, to see if this skeleton key works. How do you know there isn't somebody in there? Lance lives alone in the apartment. It's dark. I look from the outside. Now, don't bother me. Dear. I don't think we'd better risk turning on the room lights. We use matches to see how... Who what? turned on that what? light? I did. Just take it nice and easy, both of you, and this gun won't go off. Lance, Norman... Jonathan, I what? thought you said there wouldn't be anybody here. No, I'm wrong. Go ahead and sue me. Well, not so smart, are you, Seamus? I figured you'd come flying around my apartment, but you didn't get anything out of me at the club. Too bad I got here first, huh? Okay, so you got here first. What do we do now? What we have to do, Seamus. You know, it's too bad you both look too young to die. You, you mean you're going to shoot us? Oh, no, 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 please. Uh, not that. Uh, Jonathan, I think, I, I think I'm going to faint. Hey, turn them lights back on. Please, Mr. Norman, don't shoot. I didn't mean to turn out the lights. It was just that I almost fainted. You see, I bumped into them. I'll turn them right on again. Only please don't shoot us. I don't want to die, Mr. Norman. I, I don't want to die. Let go of me. Let go. Let go. Let go. That was nice work, Betty. Oh, thank you. You can turn the lights on now. Our friend won't bother us anymore. Oh, boy. Come on now. Let's search the place. You take that side of the room and I'll take this. Jonathan, what did you say the name of that girl was? Huh? Rita Dane? Yes, why? Well, I think I found something then. There's a marriage license here made out to Lance Norman and Rita Dane, dated two years ago. Good. I found something, too. Come in here, Betty. Oh, what is it, Jonathan? What we're looking for. Look, this is in an envelope with Warlock written on it. Mm-hmm. It's a photostat of two sets of fingerprints exactly alike. And a newspaper clipping from an out-of-town paper dated two weeks ago. Well, what's it say? I'll read the clipping to you. Mortonville, New York. Sometime last night, thieves broke into the Mortonville Third National Bank and made off with more than $10,000 in cash. The thieves left no trace behind them except a small metal case which probably held some of their tools. Mm. Fortunately, the Mortonville police were able to get a clear set of fingerprints from the case. They have not yet been able to identify the prints. A bank robbery. Yes, and one set of prints on the photostat is labeled prints taken by the Mortonville police. The other set is labeled fingerprints of Freddie Warlock, and they're identical. You mean that the son robbed the bank? Then, oh, Jonathan, maybe he's the one who murdered that... I'm beginning to see a lot of things I didn't see before. (sighs) We're going over to the Warlock house, but in a hurry. Come on. Hello, Pierce. Can you tell Mr. Warlock that Mr. Jonathan Pierce is here? You may go in, Mr. Pierce. You'll find everyone in the library. The police, too, sir. The police? Yes, sir. I believe they're about to leave and take young Mr. Warlock with him, sir. What? He's been here quite some time. Come on, Betty. We've got to hurry. Oh, Jonathan, my boy, you're just in time. This fool policeman insists upon arresting my son. Well, if it isn't Jonathan Pierce. Hello, Lieutenant Valley. What's happening here? Well, it's like this, Pierce. We got a phone call tipping us Clip Matson was murdered. Oh? We investigated. In Matson's pocket, I found a photostat of a story about a bank robbery up in Mortonville. And proof that young Freddie Warlock pulled the job. Hmm. Pocket, so that's where it was. What's that? Oh, nothing, nothing, Lieutenant. Go on, please. I got the idea that maybe Clip was blackmailing the kid and the kid bumped him off. But how could I kill anyone I didn't know, huh? Of course he didn't do it. The whole thing's stupid. Freddie was with us all afternoon and dead drunk when we left. 
Weren't you, Freddy? Uh, Lieutenant, you've got some pretty flimsy evidence, haven't you? You think so? We gave the kid the paraffin test, and it showed traces of nitrate on his hands. Oh? That proves he fired a gun, so I'm taking him in. Hey, nonsense. I wish you'd wait a minute, Lieutenant. I think I can clear up a few points for you. With the help of Mrs. Lance Norman. Well, what you... do you mean, Mrs. Norman? It's Miss Rita Dane. I'm sorry, Freddie, but it's Rita Norman. She and Lance were married two years ago. That's what? right, and I saw the license. And with the help of Clip Matson, they've been trying to blackmail you. Huh? You'll find another one of those photostats in Lance's apartment. You can't prove a thing. Good work, Jonathan. I knew you'd do it. Look, Piss. You think Lance did the killing, too? No. Lance didn't do it. Who did then? The kid? No. The killing was done by my client, David Warlock. Jonathan, what kind of nonsense is this? No nonsense at all. Warlock's been handling the inheritance of Freddy, and I suspect you'll find it short. Freddy was due to collect in six months, however, so Warlock thought of framing him for killing Cliff Matson. But how did he know this blackmailer would show up? Because he planned it that way. He robbed the bank at Mortonville and planted Freddy's fingerprints on the scene. Then I imagine he saw to it that this evidence was placed where Rita and Lance could get hold of it and pass it on to Cliff. The blackmailer was to be killed and Freddie framed for it, and I was called in for window dressing. It's an utterly fantastic story. Fortunately, no one will believe it. Jonathan, this sounds awfully bad. Well, certainly it's bad. It was planned to be a way to eliminate Freddie. A crime to fit the punishment. I don't know. What about the paraffin test on the kid? Simple, Lieutenant. The kid's drunk and out cold. So all Warlock has to do is take some dirt, rub it on the kid's hand, and there's your traces of nitrate. That's right. You got any proof of the rest? Well, the motive should be easy to check. Warlock made a slip today about being in Mortonville. Then I imagine you'll find a pair of gray suede gloves in Mr. Warlock's room, and the gloves should show traces of nitrate. Finally, Warlock was the only person who knew I was going to meet Matson. Very clever, Mr. Pierce. But let's see if you can outsmart this. A gun! Just like in the movie. Now, look, Mr. Warlock. Shut up! Get away from that door, Lieutenant. I'm leaving. Oh, Jonathan, I think I'm going to faint. What, again? Of course you don't. Oh, oh yes, yes, go right ahead. I'll catch you. What is this? No trick, oh, you. Oh, no, no trick, Mr. Warlock. I just can't stand the sight of a gun. Oh. Turn those lights back on. Like this, Mr. Warlock? <laughs> okay, Betty. Light, please. Coming up. Holy smokes. Warlock is out cold. The gal faints and Pierce conks Warlock. A very nice trick. Well, think nothing of it. We do it twice a day. <laughs> yes. Well, I think that clears up your case, Lieutenant. And as for you, sweetheart, you asked me a while ago for a job as my assistant. The job is yours. Your assistant? Are you kidding? This detective works such a cinch, I'm going to business for myself. Good evening, creeps. This is PFC X, raising the curtain of the mystery playhouse. Tonight's play was written by A. Merritt and is entitled Burn Witch Burn. Creeps, this is a story that borders on the supernatural. It is about a doctor, a man of science, who finds himself in conflict with a strange evil force that defies all science. A doctor who doesn't believe that some things he hears are possible until he sees them with his own eyes. Listen now to Burn Witch, Burn.
My name is Dr. Lowell. The laws of science have always been the horizon of my understanding. That is, until recently. I'm confused, bewildered. I've seen things which could hardly occur according to scientific explanation. Awful, gruesome things. Things which belong in the dark ages. It all began on that day when that notorious gangster, Julian Ricori, brought one of his gunmen into my hospital. The man died horribly. Most horribly. I stood there studying the terror-frozen face of the dead man. I was baffled, but I couldn't accept the explanation of Ricori, who kept mumbling. La Strega. La Strega. What's that you were saying, Ricori? La Strega, the witch. That's who killed Peters. Well, okay now. You've upset my hospital staff badly enough bringing that man in here without any regard for the proper procedure. It was an emergency, Dr. Long. Nevertheless, now you have the audacity to suggest some ridiculous superstition as the cause of his death. Which, indeed. Then you tell me what killed him, doctor. When the autopsy report comes in, we'll know. You'll know nothing. Look at Peter's death. Look at the face. You've seen men die before, lots of them. Well? Did you ever see a man look as he did before he died? Sorry, eyes. They're staring up at you, through you. Beyond you, it's a world of fear and terror. You want me to believe he was killed by black magic? By a witch? I don't care what you believe, it's true. Mr. Ricori, I have other patients. Doctors. You're a blind fool. Oh. Come in, Dr. Braille. Goodbye, Mr. Ricori. You can make arrangements with a nurse outside for the removal of your friend's body. Doctors. Oh. Hey, he's mad. Yes. How's Nurse Waters? I gave Edith the sedative. This man's death was certainly a harrowing experience. There's no question about it. I myself never experienced anything like it. The horror of his expression, convulsions. It was as if the whole trouble was in the man's mind, not the body. Stop it before you begin to sound like a Corey who believes a witch killed him. A witch? Did you ever hear of anything so absurd? My impression suggested something in the nature of murder. Murder? Yeah, well, not in the ordinary sense of the word. It seems as if there was a a will determined to kill his body. Well, then you mean suicide. I've watched a few die in my time because they lost the will to no, live. No, no, I meant there was another's will. Another's? Yes. A will stronger than Peter's gripped his, stifled it. Then in complete possession, willed his death. Dr. Braille. I know it sounds far-fetched, Edith, Nurse Waters, you were told to lie down. I couldn't. Oh, Bob. What is it, dear? I'm afraid. Of what? I, I don't know. I can't explain it. That man lying there, Peter. Dr. Lowell speaking. Very well, I'll be there at once. That was the serology lab. They found something odd in Peter's blood. I'll be there if I need it. Darling. Bob. Oh, you're still trembling. Let's get out of here, huh? No. Stop looking at him, dear. He was just a thug, a gunman. You're mistaken. You didn't know him. It's something to do with that doll woman. Doll woman? That's where I saw him. Or rather, a doll that looked like him. Edith, you're completely unnerved. Please let me take you to your room. Bob, will you do something for me? Of course. Take me away from here. Where to? Anywhere. Tomorrow. Yes, tomorrow we'll go away. Far away. We were going to get married in June. We'll get married sooner. 
At once. Edith, you... Oh, don't look at me that way. I'm not mad. I'm just frightened. Of what? I... I don't know exactly. It all has to do with... Edith. Edith, what is it? Edith, what are you staring at? Bob, I... Edith. We've got to save her, Doctor. We're fighting what killed Peters. Obviously, she's contracted the disease. Edith. Edith. She's in coma. She can't hear you. Whatever it is, she's fighting it. Yes, I know. We can't just stand here and watch her die. What can we do? Nothing helped Peters. What did you find in his blood? Why did they call you to the lab? Nothing that will help us here. What was it? The strange incandescence in certain blood corpuscles. No doubt Ricori would call it witch fire. Dr. Lowell, look. Her eyes. She's opening and closing them. Maybe she's trying to say something. Four times. Now six, seven, eight, nine. She stopped. There, once again. Her pulse is weakening. Edith. Edith, my dearest. Fight. Edith. Edith. Sorry, my boy. She's gone. I know what Nurse Walters meant to you, Bob, but after all, it's been several weeks now and you're working... I'm going to find out what killed her. If necessary, I'll devote my life to it. It's obviously some new disease... Maybe some obscure tropical disease. I don't believe that, Dr. Lowell. Well, even in the face of facts? What facts? Well, you saw the answers I received from the letters I sent out to the doctors of the city. There have been nine other cases, all fatal. But the autopsy showed no reason in the world why both Peters and Edith shouldn't be alive this minute. Have you a theory, Doctor? Yes, I think it was murder. Said it before about Peters, now I'm more than ever convinced of it. Of course, you realize murder usually has a motive. Now, here's a list of the other victims. A banker, an acrobat, an 11-year-old child, a spinster, a man who... I know all that. Well, what could these people have in common to supply a motive? A love for children. Oh, come now. One was even a child. Even the banker supported a large orphan asylum. Edith adored her niece. And Peters, a gunman. A daughter. And it all proves a common interest. In what? In children. And children love dolls. Edith mentioned something about a doll woman. I've wrapped my brain for days. It's the only clue I can find. But what doll woman? Where? You were convinced that Edith tried to signal you with her eyes before she died, weren't you? Yes, she blinked her eyes four times, nine times, and again once. In terms of the alphabet, D is the fourth letter, I the ninth, A the first. D-I-A. Is it the beginning of a name, an address, what? Well, does, uh, Diana suggest anything? No, 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 not Diana. Well, it could mean, uh, Diary. Diary. Diary, of course. What a fool I've been. Why didn't I ask you sooner? Hey, hey, where are you going? To Edith's apartment to find a diary and get to the bottom of this unholy business. Bob. I'll be back later. I tell you, you're barking up the wrong tree. Forget your wild ideas about murder and possessed wills. A microscope and test tube will give you the solution. Not this time, Dr. Law. Dr. Lowell speaking. What's that? 
But Corey's been stabbed. Very well, I'll be right down. The gang chief, Ricori, was stabbed just below the heart by a long, thin instrument. Dr. Lowell questioned Ricori's bodyguard, McCann. The man was frightened. He told a story of taking Ricori to a strange doll shop run by a grotesque old woman. Ricori came out of the shop carrying something under his coat. He got back into the car, McCann said, and then... All of a sudden, I hear him sucking his breath. I feel his body tighten up, and then he sags loose all over. And only you and Paul the driver were with him in the car. That's right, Doc. And neither of you stabbed him? No. That means he must have stabbed himself. Is that what you want me to believe? I don't know. I'm all mixed up, Doc. I can't make it out. Where's Paul the driver? When a boss slumps over, I yell to Paul. As soon as he stops the car, the door flies open, and something falls out into the street. What? The boss was carrying under his coat when he came out of his doll shop. It was dark. I couldn't see what it was. Paul jumped out after it. I grabbed the wheel and raced here. It's a pretty thin story, McCann. Doc, I wouldn't hurt the boss. you got to believe that. I wouldn't hurt him, Doc. Oh, I... Mac! Mac, I got it. Paul. Paul, the boss ain't croaked. He might pull through. Doc, this is Paul, the driver. Hiya. I got it. Here. This is what the boss had under his coat. It's a doll. Let me see that. Look at the face. Holy mother. Isn't that the face of Peter? The spitting image of Peter's. And what's this running down the back of its collar? It's like a big hat pin. No, no, no. It's a sword. A tiny sword. And there's blood on it. Ricori's blood. Holy mother in heaven. Dr. Braille, I'm glad you're here. What's happened? Julian Ricori was stabbed. I know. I just spoke with him. He said he was stabbed by a doll. Nonsense. He was stabbed by this tiny sword, yes, but how could the doll stab him? What's this? The doll. If you look closely at the face, you'll see it's the face of Peters. That's what Edith meant when she said she saw Peters before. She saw this doll. She saw the doll maker when she all... when she went there. I found it all in her diary, Dr. Lowell. I cannot believe this doll stabbed Ricori. Your explanation, then. Well, I'm beginning to believe that maybe this doll woman is involved, but... Well, everything can be explained scientifically. I don't know, post-hypnotic suggestion, perhaps. This doll woman might have hypnotized Ricori to stab himself, but suggested he should think he was attacked by the doll. Completely unsound, Dr. Lowell. Experimentation has proven over and over again that no subject under hypnosis will commit any extreme act that he wouldn't commit normally. I know. But perhaps this woman has developed hypnosis beyond anything yet. To... <coughs> Dr. Lowell, what is it? What's wrong? Dr. Lowell! Dr. Lowell! Stop shaking me! Are you all right? Of course. Just... Just felt a bit faint. You looked as if you were in a trance. It's La Strega. Like the boss says. La Strega. I didn't tell Braille, but during that moment of faintness, I'd heard a voice. A beautiful, low, exotic voice. And it said, kill, kill Ricori. 
That night I sat up with Ricori, who had fallen into coma. Doc, Paul and me will be right outside the door. If anything happens... No, no, no. Stay here. Okay, Doc. Now listen to me carefully, both of you. Obey me in every detail. Ricori's life depends on it. Okay, Doc, shoot. Now here's the important thing. Watch me closely. Watch you, Doc? Yes. If I should go to your chief, it'd be to do one of three things only. Take his pulse, listen to his heart and breathing, take his temperature. If you see me do anything else, stop me. If I resist, tie me up. Then phone Dr. Braille. Here is his number. Has everything understood? Yeah. Okay, Doc. Paul? I, I don't like it, but all right. Paul, will you switch off the ceiling light? The bed light will be enough. Yeah. Okay. Two o'clock. Oh, Lord. I'm tired. Dr. Lowe. Dr. Lowe. Huh? Relax. And release yourself to me. Yes, please. But through your to take Ricori's temperature with a knife. That settled it. I couldn't argue anymore. Hypnosis, telepathy, call it what you will. I believed in the witch now. And I knew that eventually I would destroy her or she would destroy me. Before leaving Ricori's room because of some inexplicable compulsion, I took Ricori's gun. Later, as I was preparing for bed, Dr. Braille came in. Impulsively, and again as if compelled, I hid the gun in the drawer of my night table. I heard what happened, Dr. Lowell. We should notify the police. Police would laugh at us. We have a solitary shred of evidence that this... this doll woman is behind this thing. You're right, of course. Tell me, how's Ricori? His recovery is amazing. He's even walking about. I'm staying just outside your door. I'll rig myself up a cot. Why? I don't know. But after what's happened... I I... see. Would you turn out the light, please? Thank you. Good night. Good night. Remember, if you hear anything, call me. Oh, 
Reach out. Take it in your hand. No. Now, if you will listen oh. to me and obey me, exhilaration no. and power will no. come to you. Excite, my doctor. Raise the gun to your head, doctor. That's it. Now, kill. Kill. I was doing as she directed. Kill. The gun was in my hand. And slowly, ever so slowly, my hand moved it up toward my temple. Inwardly, I fought to regain my will, but still my hand moved up, up, up. And always that accursed voice. Now the gun was at my head. My fingers slowly tightening on the trigger. I fought to stop it. Fought to cry out. And then with one supreme effort, I screamed and directed the gun away. Dr. Law, are you all right? Braille. Braille. Oh, good Lord. I've shot him. you feel up to this? You want to destroy the witch, don't you? Well, we can't waste another minute. It's either she dies or we die. I don't want to die that way. How's Dr. Braille? Better to recover. Good. When we get there, Ricori, you, McCann, and myself will go in. Have your other men in the other cars around the place. Keep your gun handy, McCann. Right. Here we are, boys. McCann. Go tell the boys to cover the place. Okay. Well, here we are. Can you pick the lock, Ricori? Let me see. Yeah, this is easy. Joint's covered, boys. That does it. Quiet now. It's probably in the back room. Good evening, gentlemen. Miss Come in, gentlemen. I've been expecting you. Move aside, boss. Let me... I'll do this job myself. You'd like to see me, Ricardo. Go on, boss. Shoot. Shoot. I... I can't. Before you can take out with your eyes. I can. Shoot, shoot. <laughs> Drop your weapon. Put you, Ricardo. Now you might can. <laughs> so, you see, Dr. Lover, I'm only a timid old woman, very old, ages old, and with all the dark wisdom of the ages. No. Don't try to answer. You can't, because I've made it so. Pick up the gun, Dr. Lover. That's right. Now, you will kill these men. Dalia is on Mr. Wiesa in Pate's trace. What are you mumbling? Dalia is on Mr. Wiesa in Pate's trace. Let's see this. What are you saying? All Gaul is divided into three parts. 
A trite jingle from schoolboy Latin. I kept saying it over and over. Calia est omnis duisa, in partes tres. As long as I said it, I knew I could keep my mind a blank. And she could not hypnotize me. Calia est omnis duisa, in partes tres. I turned the gun on her. It was her life or the lives of all of us. Galia est omnis duisa. Ostrega was dead. From falling, she had broken the lamp. In a moment, the place was in flames. I turned to Ricori. Ricori! Ricori, snap out of it! Ah! Uh, what is it? McCann! McCann! Hmm? Hmm? My gun. What happened to it? Look! The witch! On the floor! She's dead. The joint's burning. Let's get out of here. Doc! Doc! Come on! But shouldn't we take her out of here? Nah, let her burn too. It's better. Let it all burn. This way. Come on! Burn, witch! Burn! And now, the Mole Mystery Theater. Presented by M-O-L-L-E. Mole, the heavier brushless shaving cream for tough whiskers or a tender skin. Good evening. This is Jeffrey Barnes. Welcoming you to the Mole Mystery Theater, the program that presents the best in mystery and detective fiction. Our guest player tonight is Richard Widmark, up-and-coming young star of stage, screen, and radio. And our play, Double Cross, by Sanford Plessinger. This is the story of Carl Cummings, whose plan for murder is complicated by his inability to decide on his victim. He only knows that someone must be double-crossed. But who? Well, perhaps you'd like to match wits with our author, Mr. Schlesinger, and see if you can come up with the answer to that question before the final curtain falls. Well, mystery fans, there's a challenge that should turn out to be fun. But say, men, if you're up against the challenge of shaving tough whiskers or a tender skin, that's apt to be a different story. So to make it fun, shave with mole. Yes, sir, it's smooth. So smooth. It's slick. So slick. It's a smooth, smooth, slick, slick shave you get with M-O-L-L-E. Mole, the heavier brushless shaving cream for tough whiskers or a tender skin. Try it. Mole. And now for tonight's Mole mystery, Double Cross, starring Richard Widmark.
The whole idea was nuts right from the beginning. I should have taken a walk around the park the second I thought of it, gone home and forgotten everything. But I didn't. I just walked through the door of Twin Oaks, sat down at a table, and winked at trouble through the smoke. Then waited for it to slink over. Hiya, sweetheart. Glad you got my, uh, invitation. <laughs> How could I miss it? <laughs> Pull up a chair. But don't put your pretty elbows on the table and get them dirty. What do you want? Nothing on the menu. Oh. Good night. No, no, don't go. No? What's to keep me? I don't know. I guess I'm just in the dumps. <laughs> Look, mister, I don't want to hear the next chapter, understand? You're in the dumps, so what? I'm in the dumps. So what? Everybody in this hole's in the dumps. And so what, and so what, and so what? Why'd you jump at a wink? Because I want a good time. Not more trouble. What's it going to be, mister? Neither tonight. I don't like you. Oh, that's too bad I like you. I'll pick you up tomorrow night. Say, what? Here's a hundred. Get yourself dolled up. I want you to look like a lady. Why, I You don't want the doll? Give it here. Tomorrow night at eight. How do you know I'll show? (laughs) You have an honest face. See you tomorrow night. Hey, don't... Oh, what's the big idea of ruining the whole bottle by tossing your cigarette in it? Someone else could have finished it. Oh, I forgot to tell you. That's a lousy habit I've always had. When I'm through with something, nobody else wants it. (laughs) That's the kind of guy I am, sister. Her name was Paula, Paula Stewart. Nice figure, coal black hair, and brown eyes that sparkled out the words danger ahead, the way those highway signs do at night when your headlights hit them as you come around a curve. Yeah, she had the curves, too. Paula was waiting for me the next night. She waited for me every night. I waited, too. I had something on my mind. In about two weeks, I knew it was safe to tell Paula just what that something was. How come the long drive out in the country? Running short in dough? Would that make any difference? Sure. <laughs> Thanks. This spot looks okay. Okay for what? I've got something to tell you. <laughs> this ought to be good. No, I've got to be on the level with you. Ah, don't do me no favors. It'll take more than a double cross to break my heart. Paula. I, uh... I'm married. For the love of Pete, is that what you dragged me 40 miles out in this no-man's land for? Who cares? Paula, you're terrific. Come here. You're you're pretty terrific yourself, a grown-up kid. (laughs) You know, you and I, we're a lot alike. We are? Yeah. We both like money. I was wondering where the payoff came in. I guess it's right here. Right here, baby. Okay. Deal. It's an insurance deal. I don't think I like the card. It's a good deal, Paula. How good? 50,000 bucks worth of chips in the kitty. 50,000? What's the gimmick? Murder. Hey, that's some gimmick you got there. It's my wife, Paula. She's the one who's insured. 50,000. Classy clothes, a swell apartment... Ritzing nightclub. Paula, will you help me? Paula, will you please? Did that answer your question? I spent months looking for you, sweetheart. Months. 
When I spotted you at Twin Oaks, I said to myself, there she is. Nobody else will fill the bill. Especially a bill for 50 grand. The next morning, there was an ad in the paper. Wanted young woman to do light housework. Call in person. Mrs. Carl Cummings, 908 Webster Street. This is our new maid, Miss... Uh, Stewart, just call me Paula. Well, we're glad to have you with us, Amy. Oh, you'll never know how glad, Paula. Taking care of the house has been a big job. I'm sure it'll be easy with you here. Yeah, I'm sure it will. Is uh, dinner ready? I'm it's hungry. It's all ready. Uh, Paula, will you bring in the soup, please? Yeah, it's a pleasure, Mrs. Cummings. Well, what do you think, honey? I think she's perfect. Looks a lot like you, don't you think? Same figure, same height. Same color hair. But her face, darling. Her face. When the time comes, I'll fix that so nobody could recognize it. I'll never forget that meal as long as I live. Amy. Lovely, sweet little Amy sitting there across the table from me trying to pretend that everything was as usual. Paula serving dinner. Dishes in her hands, money and murder in her head. Her eyes met mine. They dared me to double-cross her. I wondered then if she knew that I would. About ten o'clock, Amy and I went to our room. Not again, Carl. I, I know the plan backwards. Yes, Amy, again. You see the way she looked at me? Yes. I saw. I don't like the way you said that. Carl. What? Just what does this Paula mean to you? For the love of Mike, of all the dopey questions. You know what she means to me, nothing. Don't ever ask me anything like that again. I won't. If you don't make me ask it. Now listen, you listen good. I don't want to talk about it anymore. Paula's just a way for us to collect your insurance. All right, Carl. You have your reservations at the lodge? Tomorrow night. I'll go up there, stay for a couple of days, and next Tuesday night I'll be back. But you see that you're on that Tuesday train for Tucson. Oh, I, I already have my ticket. Tuesday afternoon, 3 o'clock. Good. I'll have my key. After I take care of Paula, I'll tear the house apart and make it look like a robbery. Then you go back to the lodge? Right. It's only a little over 50 miles. I can make it an hour. But are you sure that the police will believe that Paula's me? I told you I'd take care of that. I'm going out for a walk. I've got some thinking to do. I've got to figure every angle. Carl! What? Who do you love, Carl? It's like I told you, Amy. Don't waste time asking questions you already know the answers to. Nice night, ain't it? Well, oh, Paula. I saw you go out. Thought you might like company. Look, I don't think it was very smart of you to come out here. Suppose Amy... What do you care say, about her? I don't want anything to go wrong. Nothing will go wrong. Unless you make it go wrong. You were awful lovey-dovey with her tonight. So? So I think you're either a darn good actor or... Or what? I'm... I'm not so sure I know or what. All I know is I smell a rat. Believe me, honey, I've smelled plenty of them. Baby, there's no rat. What's the angle you've got to have in there? I don't know. I haven't figured it out. But then, I'm not very bright. Or do you already know that? Paula, it's all part of the end. Honey, I... I'm cold. Awful cold. You better go in the house. No, no, you don't get it. It's not that kind of cold. I'm scared. Now, look, if you want to back out... No, I'm out... not scared of that. Not in a million years. 
I'm scared because I've gone for you in a big way. I've never done that before. I don't want to get hurt. Paula, I'm crazy about you, too. Then put your arms around me. Oh, Carl. Still cold? I'd be a lot warmer if you'd kiss me. Oh. oh, Carl, I love you so much. A moment later, she'd gone. And I stood there alone in the darkness. My head felt like there was a lead pendulum inside. Swinging back and forth. Hitting first on the right side, then on the left side of my skull. I saw Tuesday. I saw the lodge, the train for Tucson. $50,000 appear all at once and then dissolve into one bloody blotch. Leaving me with the one naked thought I'd been trying to hide from myself. Paula had gone into the house. She wasn't in my arms. And I was cold. New plans had to be made. New plans for Paula and me. Later, when I went up to my room, I knew the moment I stepped in the door that something was wrong. I glanced over to where the glow from the streetlight cut across Amy's bed. She wasn't there. Amy? Amy. Turn on the light, Carl. Amy, where are you? Turn on the light and you'll see. Sure. Amy, what's it? Amy, put down that gun. Looks as if something has come between Carl Cummings and his wife, namely a loaded revolver. In just a moment, we'll bring you Act Two of tonight's Mole Mystery. Right now, here's Dan Seymour with a word about something that may come between a man and his razor. Men, if it's tough whiskers that come between your tender skin and your razor, shaving can be a painful affair. But you know, shaving needn't be do or die. Not if you shave with Mole, the heavier brushless shaving cream. Now, that's right. Mole is just the cream you need for wiry whiskers or a tender skin. Because it is a heavier cream, Mole not only softens your whiskers, it stands them up straight while your razor breezes right through them. With Mole, you shave faster, closer, easier, and you shave painlessly. Try it. See if you don't say it's smooth. So smooth. It's slick. So slick. It's a smooth, smooth, slick, slick shave you get with M-O-L-L-E. Mole, the heavier brushless shaving cream for tough whiskers or a tender skin. And now back to Act Two of Double Cross, starring Richard Widmark. Sit down, Carl. Put down that gun, Amy. What's, what, what's the matter with you? Sit down. No, over there on the edge of the bed. That's it. Amy, I... I, 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 I don't understand. So you wanted to go out walking. What kind of a fool do you take me for? 
You forget that I'm not an ignorant piece of trash you picked up at Twin Oaks. All right, all right. So I made love to Paula. It's just part of the act, honey. I was going to tell you about it. <laughs> it was really very funny. Was it? Sure, the dumb dame thinks I'm nuts about her. I thought you were nuts about me, too. Amy, I am. How do I know? Because I tell you, that's how. You told her, too. For Pete's sake, honey, if I didn't love you, would I be killing for you? How do I know you didn't promise to kill for her? Stop talking like that. It's not true. You're dreaming all this up. More than a dream, Carl. It's a nightmare. When I saw you take her in your arms and kiss her, I had a thought. How much easier it would be for you to kill me? How much simpler it would be than our complicated little scheme? Amy. Come here. But I... Oh. Oh, God. I'm sorry I acted. It's all right, baby. It's all right. Don't cry. Hold me close, darling. Closer. Oh, I wish... I wish it were all over now. Just a few more days, Angel. Just a few more days. Those few days crawled and it wasn't all over. I didn't go to the lodge and mixed up in the reservations I told Amy. Yeah, it was a mix-up, all right. And I didn't know just how to unravel the whole rotten business. The next week, I postponed my trip again. Amy nearly blew the roof off the house. What do you mean you're not going to the lodge? I told you, Amy, I don't feel good. And how do you think I feel? I'm telling you, Carl, I can't go on like this much longer. Either get this over and done with or forget it. Not so loud. You want Paula to hear? And that's another thing. I'm sick of whispering in my own home. I'm sick of the smug way she smiles at me as if I were the maid and she your wife. Amy, stop it. Every time she looks at me, she seems to say, you poor sucker, if you only knew what I know. What does she know that I don't know, Carl? Honey, you're imagining things. And so are you if you imagine I'm going to stand for any more delays. Either you leave for the lodge next Saturday night All or... All right, Amy, next Saturday. No more delays? No more delays. I'll go downstairs and phone the lodge for reservation. I'll see that you keep them this time. Don't worry, I'll keep them. It's Paula. She saw her going downstairs. You suppose she heard? There's only one way to find out who's there. Paula. Paula? You wanted to see me, Mr. Cummings? Paula, come in here in the den. Hurry it up. What's the matter? Have a fight with her? Now, this is no time to start singing. It's all set. What's all set? The stage. The curtain's ready to go up. When's it coming down? That's all I'm interested in. Next Tuesday night. Saturday night, I'm going to the lodge. I'll be back Monday night. Rance at the house. And, and take care of Amy. Then what? Then get back to the lodge. So far, I don't see what you need me for. Oh, maybe that's one of the things I'm not supposed to see. You give me one hour to get back to the lodge, then you find the body and call the police. Oh. Hello? Who? Well, yes, she's right here. Hold on. It's for you. Thanks. Hello? You're early. From now on, call when I told you to. Yeah, yeah, I'm okay. Yeah, thanks for the buzz, Jerry. Yeah. Talk to you tomorrow night, huh? So long. Light me a, light me a cigarette, will you, Dreamboat? Who is that? Sure, just a friend. Why'd he call here? Just checking. Checking what? Checking to see if I'm okay. Carl, I'm such a dope. I'm, I'm always thinking somebody might stumble across me. 
So I told Jerry, this pal of mine, to call me every night. Jerry's a swell old guy. Sort of a mother to me, you might say. Why, you lousy. Don't cool off, honey. If you're on the level with me, I'll keep right on talking with Jerry and everything will be okay. Dumb like a fox, aren't you, Paula? Mad? Mad? No, I guess not. Just a little hurt to think you don't trust me. It's not that I don't trust you, Carl, baby. Just that I'm nuts about you. And like I told you before, I don't want to get hurt. Don't worry, sweetheart. You won't get hurt. You know, somehow I got a feeling I won't either. Now, how about a nice, friendly cigarette, huh? We sat there in the den, our cigarettes filling the room with smoke. Only a tiny nightlight burned so we could stare at each other through the semi-darkness without being self-conscious. I felt my heart beat to Amy's pacing footsteps in our room just above the den. Paula heard them too, but they didn't bother her. She was expecting a phone call from Jerry, her pal, tomorrow night. She knew she was safe. Or was she? Saturday evening, I packed the leave for the lodge. I took along enough clothes to make it look like I intended to stay out my whole two weeks reservation. By seven o'clock, I was ready. Amy saw me out to the car. Be careful, Carl. Please be careful. Now, don't worry about me. You just be on that Tuesday train for Tucson. Yes, sir. Whatever you do, don't take anything with you. If Paula even guesses that you're going away she with... She Now, kiss me goodbye. See you in Tucson, darling. Yeah. See you in Tucson. Two hours after leaving Amy, I was in my car, watching the lodge disappear in the rearview mirror, heading back home again. I'd arrived there an hour before, registered, gone to my room, leaving instructions not to be disturbed. I'd left through a rear window. No one had seen me leave. No one would see me return. My alibi would be perfect. I pushed the accelerator to the floor and I hit the road for murder at 90 miles an hour. in the morning when I got home. Every window on the block was black. It had all be over in 15 minutes and I'd be heading back to the lodge. I was pretty proud of myself. Not a sign of a nerve. Like the thief I was supposed to be, I went into the house. As noiselessly as possible, I crossed the hall to the steps. Then up to the second floor. I stopped for a second, outside her door, long enough to catch my breath and get the gun out of my pocket. Then I opened the door. So long, sweetheart. This is Jeffrey Barnes again. In just a moment, we'll bring you Act Three of Double Cross. 
Now a word from George Putnam. One thing to remember about the most common type of dandruff is that many outstanding authorities say it is not a natural condition, but actually is caused by a germ called Pityrosporum ovale. Now the only way you can get real relief is to destroy this germ. And simply washing or brushing away loose dandruff won't do it. But double dandrine will. Yes, double dandrine really works because it gets at the cause of this dandruff and kills it. Actually kills the germ on contact. Results with double dandrine have been remarkable even in many stubborn cases. And the thing that makes double dandrine so amazingly effective is a special ingredient. An active antiseptic that's so wonderfully efficient many hospitals use it. In double dandrine we call it Alzan. So stop trying to combat this dandruff with ineffective methods that actually are no better than plain water. Use double dandrine and destroy the cause. Get double dandrine tomorrow. Your money back if not satisfied. Who's there? Oh. Paula. Carl. I I I just did it. She's dead. Yeah. Yeah, I heard the shots. Yeah, you heard the shots. I suppose your friend called tonight. Oh, you, you can you can put the gun away, Carl. I suppose you'll call again tomorrow night. I wouldn't try anything if I was you, Carl. Sorry, Paula. I've thought it all out. When two people know a secret, it's not a secret anymore. I've got to protect myself. Then all that talk about your loving me... Was... I do love you, Paula, but I don't trust you just as you don't trust me. Carl, please. It wouldn't work, Paula. Someday there'd be a slip. I only get $50,000 out of this. I can't afford to take chances. Carl, don't. I'm going to miss you. Oh, Carl, don't. I think I'll even miss Amy. Thanks, Carl. <gasps> now drop that gun. Amy! <laughs> I said, drop it. I, I couldn't believe that Amy was still alive. But there she stood. Her blood reddening her knife down where my bullet had hit. But alive. And a gun in her hand. Oh, Amy, my arm's tired. I've written out the whole story. What else do you want me to do? Sign your name. Oh. Carl Cummings. No. You sign it. Me? Why should I? As a witness. Oh. What are you going to do with this confession? Turn it over to the police? Pick up his gun, Paula. Give it to me. Pick it up by the barrel. Thank you. Amy, now, 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 look here, let's... Oh! Oh. Amy! What did you do? No. No, Amy, for the love of heaven, don't... Don't, please! Operator, get me the police department. The cops? Oh, you must be nuts. I'm getting out of here before... Stay where you are, Paul. This gun still has bullets in it. Hello, police department. This is Carl Cummings. I live at 908 Webster Street. Please come at once. Something terrible's happened. Are you crazy? They'll arrest you for murder. Could have been an accident, Paul. Accident? After all, 
But I know Carl will be coming back tonight. Tell him he's going to the lodge for two weeks. So naturally, when I saw a man prowling around the house, I thought it was a burglar. That's my story. If, if I live. Oh, I don't want any part of this. Sit down. You're not going anywhere. What are you going to do? Just wait for the police to get here. If I can. You're not going to make it, Mrs. Cummings. You're going to die. Any minute, Mrs. Cummings. I'll... I'll die when I'm ready. Stop polishing that gun. It might go off. The police are coming, Paula. Please, Mrs. Cummings. Please don't make me stay here. I'm afraid you must. See, I haven't quite... Gone. All right, Mrs. Cummings, stay right where you are. Now Paula's in charge. <laughs> you bet she is, honey. The first thing I'm going to do is take care of Carl's confession. And I can't think of a better place to get rid of it than in your fireplace. It won't do, Paula. Shut up. And now so long, Mrs. Cummings. And don't think it ain't been nice. You just burned your chance to escape, Paula. Huh? Oh, you're talking crazy. Why do you think I was polishing that gun? How should I know? I didn't want my fingerprints on it. I didn't want anyone's fingerprints on it. Except yours. You're holding the gun that shot Carl. What are you getting at? You're also holding the gun that... that shot me. What? No! The police are here, Paula. I hope you have a good story for them. I do... Mrs. Cummings! Mrs. Cummings! The cops. Mrs. Cummings, they're going to blame me. But I didn't do it. You've got to tell them I didn't kill you. Don't leave me alone, Mrs. Cummings. You've got to tell them. Mrs. Cummings, you've got to tell them. Mrs. Cummings, you've got to tell them. You've got to tell them, Mrs. Cummings. Now, this is Jeffrey Barnes inviting you to be with us next week when the Mystery Theater presents Beautiful Silence, starring Barry Kroger. The original music for the Mystery Theater is composed and conducted by Alexander Semler. Richard Widmark was starred. Any similarity between the names and characters used on this show and any actual persons, living or dead, is purely coincidental. a magician work? A really good sleight-of-hand artist can pull lighted cigarettes from the air. He's able to saw a woman in half. He can pull a rabbit out of a hat or make a fountain pen disappear. But have you ever seen a magician who could make a 200-pound corpse disappear? Hello, creeps. This is T4Y, opening the doors of the Mystery Playhouse. Our story tonight is an imaginative tale called Who Took the Corpse? It was written by D.L. Champion. (laughs) 
little town of Fernville's only scarlet crime was born of a corncob pipe and grew to the stature of a celebrated case when its corpse vanished. The crime involved three men. One became the corpse, another the killer, and the third lived to record tonight's story. It all started one night in the palace bar, where Sid Doton, the police deputy, watched Fernville's newest resident amuse the mill hands with clever card tricks. The newcomer was good. He was a magician, a suave, satanic figure in a red-lined cape. He called himself Marvolo. And Marvolo, Sid Doton noticed as he crowded into watch, carried his many drinks well. And now, gentlemen, a flip, so, a shuffle, so, and here is your carefully concealed card, the ace of spades. And now, uh, gentlemen, will the man who is smoking that horrible pipe Desist, the odor is offensive. <laughs> I guess he means that corn cob of yours, Sid. May I see that pipe, sir? Oh, sure. Well, let me knock the ashes out first. Here you are. Uh, I place the horrible object on the bar. So. <laughs> then I place the magic cloth over it. So. What you gonna do, Marvolo? Make it smell like violet? No. No. I will do better than that, my friend. Now a magic word. Dushavi. Presto a new pipe. Well, hey, somebody should have made Sid's old pipe disappear a long time Come, ago. Come, sir. Don't you approve a new pipe for an old one? Nope, I like my old one. Let's have it. I'm terribly sorry, sir. I can't bring your old pipe back. It's in a limbo beyond my call. Bartender, another scotch, please. Marvelo. Sir? Give me that pipe. You, sir, are an individual I dislike. A poor spot. Might be, but I'm a deputy. And also, I think you've had a lot of drinks. And also, I think I ought to take you home. Now, come on. It would be most unwise of you to lay a hand on me, my friend. Yeah, I know. I know. Now, come on. I told you not to lay a hand on me. Hey, Sid, what you doing sitting on the floor? Yeah, lots of chairs around. <laughs> hey, that's what they call jujitsu, ain't it? Yeah, that's what they call Now, bartender, that scotch, please. <laughs> Hello, Sid. <laughs> I ate your breakfast off the mantel this morning. <laughs> <laughs> sure did. Well, I guess you heard what happened last night, Chief. Yeah. Hey, what the devil are you doing? Rolling your own cigarettes now? Yeah, yeah. Hate breaking in new pipes, and Marvolo never gave me back my old one. <laughs> uh, I'm going to the bank now, Lamb. Oh, that's right. It is payroll day at the mill, ain't it? Oh, hang it, Sid. You used to knock pipe ashes out all over. Now you're spilling cigarette tobacco on me. Oh, I'm sorry, Lamb. Oh, I'll see you later. Uh, and I'll be at the palace tonight in case the boys rough it up. Yeah. Uh, best deputy in the state, but the untidiest man i ever seen. You can tell it's payday, huh, Sid? Yep. <laughs> Alice is sure busy tonight, Tom. Uh-uh. What? Here comes your pal, Marvolo. Gentlemen. Gentlemen, may I have your attention? Gentlemen, please. Thank you. He's gunning for you, Sid. Now shut up, Tom, and listen. Card tricks and feats of magic are merely a profession, gentlemen. My basic interest is the study of the occult, the black arts. 
Very few men, gentlemen, have gone as deeply into the forbidden realm of evil as I. Very few men possess my power. What's he driving at, Sid? I read men's hidden thoughts. I see their souls mirrored in their minds. Tonight, in this room, a man plans murder. That man plans to murder me. You're all my witnesses. I will point this man out to you by means of this... Look out! Knife! You blasted fool. All right, Marvelo, you asked for it this time. I don't know magic, but this is a 38, and these are handcuffs. And tonight you can study your black books in our jail. <laughs> no jail and no steel handcuffs can hold Marvelo, you idiot. Well, what do you say we just try it, huh? See you in court, Marvelo. <laughs> all right, all right. A little quiet, please. Next case. Daniel Biggs, alias Marvelo. Where's the defendant? Sid Dalton's upstairs getting him out of his cell, Your Honor. Well, what's keeping him? Somebody go up and... Judge, Judge Westworth, come on. Well, Deputy, where's the defendant? He's gone, Judge. Gone? What do you mean, gone? Where? Wasn't he in the cell? Oh, he was locked in the cell with handcuffs on. And I locked the outer door, too, but, but he's gone. Well, that's ridiculous. Any signs of escape? Nope, the door's locked from the inside, and the bars are solid. He's... He's just disappeared into thin air. But I'll find that black devil, Your Honor. But the last thing I do, I'll find... It could very well be the last thing you do, Mr. Doden. Order, order here. How did you get out, Mr. Biggs? Your Honor, how could you expect me to tell you that? The black arts reveal their secrets only to those who keep them. Yes, well, here's a secret the court will share with you. In Fernville, we don't go in for throwing knives around in public places. What is all this grudge between you two, Doton? Your Honor, this guy has a screw loose somewhere. He goes around thinking that I want to kill him. And so you do. A half hour after I left the palace the first night I met you, your animal brain had conceived a cowardly plot to murder me and to hide behind your badge of office. That's a lie. I warned you last night. Publicly. Today, Doton, before this court, I warn you that your plan won't work because I am going to kill you first. Why, you... Hold it, Sid. Lem, did you hear that? Yep. Now, look, Marvelo. For that kind of talk, I can arrest you again. For killing, I can hang you. You got that straight? Hang Marvelo? My friend, if your deputy doesn't change his mind about murdering me, I will kill him. And you will be powerless to stop me or to hang me. Or even to prove I have committed a crime. Good day, all. Don't trust him, Sid. Keep an eye on him. Yeah, yeah, he's just a nut. <laughs> oh, that doesn't bother me, Lamb. But I'll watch him. <laughs>
Hello? This a freight office? Uh, hello, Tom. This is Sid Doton. Say, did the express stop today? <laughs> yeah, that's right. New radio with a phonograph gadget. <laughs> sure, I got it for my wife's birthday. Now, look, I took a room at the Palace Hotel, room 212. I want to keep it there and try it out. Uh, send it over tomorrow, will you? Now, don't forget, room 212. Morning, bartender. Oh, hi. I must be your first customer. Yeah, you sure are, Marvel. Ain't noon yet. What'll it be? Double brandy, please. Right, Jared. Ah, there you are. Say, you don't come around till night, usually. How come you're here so early? Yes, it is unusual, isn't it? But then it isn't every day that... that one kills a man. Huh? Is it? I'm going to room 212. Hey, that's Stoughton's room. He's up there now. There's no radio. Yes, I know. Huh? How'd you know? It's a secret. How I know is my secret. Hey, you can't... Ah, he's nuts. He wouldn't do that and tell me about it. Sid can handle him anyhow. In which direction is room 212, please? Uh, 212, it's right here, sir. That door over there. Oh, thank you, thank you. You can't say I didn't warn you, Doton. No, you idiot. No, put away that gun. No, you'll hang. No, don't, Marvelo, don't. No, no, no. Look, what do you want? This is it, Doton. And after you're dead, they won't be able to bury you because they'll never find your corpse. I saw him. I saw him do it. I saw him lying right there in the blood. I saw him. I saw him. Oh. Yell him, yeah. Sure he's dead. Marvelo? No. He's just standing in front of the room, grinning. Yeah. Yeah, Bill Sanders has got him covered with my shotgun. Yeah. Yeah, we'll hold him. Hurry up, will you? <laughs> Uh, here comes the sheriff now. Yeah, there he's coming right upstairs. All right, Bill. Take the shotgun out of his ribs. Well, Marvel, you went bluffing, they tell me. You actually killed Sid. You're the police chief, Mr. Tracy. You expect me to testify against myself? Here's the gun. Thanks. Open the room door, Bill. What's going on here? Somebody being funny? There ain't no one in this room. I saw him. I saw him lying right there, Mr. Tracy. <gasps> See? See the blood? There's blood, all right. The closet's empty. <laughs> Window's locked on the inside. Sid's radio half out of the crate. Well, Marvelo, where is it? Where is what, Mr. Tracy? Doughton's body. Search me. 
I see. Bill, how long did it take you to get up here after the shots? Oh, long enough to grab the shotgun under the counter and run up the stairs. About three or four minutes. Where was this guy when you got here, Bill? Right where he is now, Chief. Uh-huh. Look, you. Hmm? Outside of being my deputy and a fellow human, Sid Doton was a good friend of mine. And I can promise you, you'll dance on the end of a rope for this. Come on, you're under arrest. What for, may I ask? Murder. Murder? But you have no corpse. No corpus delicti. How can you arrest me for murder? I can hold you for 48 hours on suspicion of murder. I should be able to find Sid's body by then. L.M. L.M. the mill just called to see if Sid was here. They're waiting for him to bring the payroll down. Oh, well, now, isn't that a coincidence? Marvelo, you sure picked a fine day for it, didn't you? Now I've got to find a $110,000 payroll as well as a corpus delicti. Well, then, maybe the guy really used magic to get rid of Doton. As a district attorney, you make a lousy detective, Milton. You realize I had to turn that killer loose in 12 hours? How about the bullets? Did you find them? Marlboro's gun shows he fired four chambers. It's a twenty-five. That caliber slug stays in a man's body. You searched the palace? Top to bottom. He didn't hide it there. How about his house? Even Superman couldn't carry a corpse over the other end of town and come back in four minutes. But I searched anyhow. The only thing missing was his car. He's got a bill of sale showing he sold it to a dealer who drove it west three days ago. <laughs> Okay, Marvolo. You in the first round. I can't hold you any longer. Yes. Well, thank you for your hospitality, Chief uh, Tracy. Mm-hmm. I think I will leave Fernville. That is, if I may. Sure, sure. You're free until I find Sid's body, that is. No, and by the way, hmm? you better spend that payroll money you took from Sid fast. Where you're going to wind up, it ain't going to be much good to you. Hello, Milton. Yeah, Lem, what's up? I think I can crack this case. I just got a report on Marvelo's car. I can't make an arrest, of course, but the Chicago police have been able to tail the car, and they've told me where Marvelo is living there. He's apparently been there since he left here four days ago. I'm leaving for Chicago today. Taxi. Look, son, I want you to drive me out towards Arlington Park. There's no farmhouse out there I want to get to. I'll tell you where to drop me off. Okay, Pop. Off at that crossroad. Well, don't you want to go to the house you want? No. I want to surprise a friend of mine. Here you are, son. Keep the chain. Thanks, mister.
There it is. Mailbox. Daniel Biggs. And there's Marvelous car in the driveway. Does it? Good evening, <coughs> Chief Tracy. Marvelous. Put up your hand. Well, Marvelous, thought you'd be in the house. I'm getting careless, I guess. Yes, very careless, my friend. I was afraid you might track down my car, but it doesn't really matter. Just keep your hands on sight, please. Uh, Let's go inside where it's more comfortable, shall we? Believe me, I regret having to do this, Mr. Uh, Tracy. Yeah. Well, you'll probably regret it longer than I will. I'll do you one favor, Tracy. As a detective, there are aspects of this case which you might like to know about. Hmm. I'll answer any one question for you. Just one question, Tracy. Before you die. Hmm. That's very thoughtful of you, Marvelo. Not at all. All right. What did you do with Sid's body? Your deputy is... Sid! Sid Dalton! (laughs) First time I ever had a corpse save my life, Sid. Sure glad to see you. Tell me what happened, Sid. Sure. Uh, Give me a match first. Yes, sir. Here you are. Thanks. Well, there's lots of it that I... I don't know, Lem. Marvelo comes in the hotel and fires at me. Uh-huh. There's a puff of black smoke from the gun and I pass out. Uh, what then? Well, I don't know where he hid me, but I woke up, seemed like years later, in the trunk compartment of this car. Ain't. Now that Marvelo's dead, we'll never know how he worked it. How'd you get away from him? <laughs> worked the ropes loose this afternoon, hid in the orchard. I knew he'd taken the payroll from us. Uh-huh. I saw him nab you, so I waited. Then I moved in. Oh, hang it, Sid. Why do you knock your pipe ashes out on floors? Oh, I'm sorry, Lamb. I forgot. Hey, why are you stopping here, Lamb? Well, might as well get some gas. Besides, I got a phone in Chicago police about Marvelo. Yeah. You got a phone here? Right inside the door. Thank you. Hello, police headquarters. Give me Deputy Green, please. Hello, Green. This is Tracy from Fernville. Yeah. Say, send that squad car down the turnpike to Letner's gas station, will you? Yeah, I got them both. The corpse and the killer. Sit. You were listening. Yeah, I was listening. I'd come in behind you. Easy. Don't try anything, Sid. Try anything. Why, I'll blast you. Sorry you made me do that, Sid. I'm arresting you for the murder of your partner, Daniel Biggs, alias Marvelo. (laughs) 
That bandage will hold you till the squad car gets here, Sid. Light your pipe if you want it. Thanks. How'd you figure it out, Lem? Oh, well, I don't believe in magic, Sid. Marvelo had to have an accomplice to get out of jail. You're the only one who could have helped him stage that hokum. That... That all you had to go on? No. No, a man has habits, Sid. Little habits, like uh, pipe smoking. Oh? Yeah. You said you never got your old pipe back from Marvelo. And then you pulled it out when we were in the car. Yeah, I... I got to guess. How do you... How do you dope out my disappearance? Well, Marvelo probably shot four blanks at you. You cut your arm for the blood. The gal saw you lying there, and she ran out. You went out the window to the roof, and Marvelo locked the window after you. Then I figure you made it to the car outside of town and waited for Marvelo to show up. And, of course, you had that payroll with you, so I found it hidden in Marvelo's car. And by shooting Marvelo? You probably thought he was going to spill the setup to me. You're right, you know. Mm. I wouldn't have had to split the payroll with him. Uh, I should have stuck to my old profession, huh, Lem? Yeah, um, you should have, son. Or you should have stuck to cigarettes. Oh, hang it, Sid. Why didn't you learn not to empty your pipe ashes all over? You're the untidiest guy i ever seen. Oh, I'm sorry, Lem. I forgot. Sorry. Yeah, I'm sorry too, Sid. Mighty sorry. Come on, let's go, son. Anyhow, this is the first case in history where the corpse becomes the killer, and the killer winds up as the corpse. The story was called Who Took the Corpse? This is T4Y closing the doors of the Mystery Playhouse and saying good night. Sleep tight. This is the Armed Forces Radio Service. This is not London in 1888. No, this is Chicago in 1945. Yet Jack the Ripper is loose again to knife, to butcher his victims without trace. Hello, creeps. This is Peter Lorry. Opening the doors of the Mystery Playhouse. If you recall, some 60 years ago, London was terrorized by a one-man crime wave, by a murderer who was never captured and never seen. And tonight, we follow the investigations of Sir Guy Hollis, who firmly believes that Jack the Ripper is still alive, that it is he who is the fiend that once again slashes and kills. <laughs> <laughs> 
there is the element of the supernatural in this story that will amaze you. For it seems that the spirit world has given the black heart of Jack the Ripper the power of everlasting life. Time, the present. Our scene is the reception room of a well-known Chicago psychiatrist, Dr. John Comedy. Miss Tannister, the doctor's assistant, is chatting with a tall, distinguished man who is apparently waiting to consult Dr. Comedy. But surely, Cigar, you can't believe a theory that seems so, well, uh, astrological. I'm afraid I do, Miss Kinnister. I do, uh, Grant, Miss Kinnister, that we still know very little about the life energy of the sun. About those forces which keep the planets in their spheres and keep a star from spinning astray and crashing into the regular building. Hello there. Oh, Dr. Comedy. I'll be with you in a moment, Mr. Hollis. Uh, Miss Kinnister, will you step into my office, please? Uh, take your time, Doctor. Anything to gain your patient's respect. Oh, well, what have I done now? It's Sir Guy Hollis. Oh. He's a lord or a knight or anyway, not a commoner. Attached to the British consulate here. Did you find out anything else about him? Nothing about his mental condition. He's right out of an English movie. Mm. Only thing that's missing is a monocle. Oh, yes, and he's a bug about astrology. Mm. Send him in, hmm? Mm-hmm. Doctor, we'll see you now, Thank you. It's been a somewhat busy day, Sir Guy. Sorry you had to wait so long. Apology a doctor need never make, sir. Most attractive office, Doctor. It's also my home. Oh, that explains the piano, then, and the painting, perhaps. Uh What do you think of London, Doctor? London? Why? Have you ever noticed anything strange about it? The fog is famous, although here in Chicago we sometimes have one to match it. Yes, the fog. That's important. It always provides the perfect setting. For what? For murder. murder. Tell me, Sir Guy, what is a Londoner doing in Chicago discussing murder with a psychiatrist? Have you ever heard of Jack the Ripper, Doctor? The murderer? The greatest monster of them all. Worse than Spring Hill Jack or Crippen, even. Red Jack. Red Jack the Ripper. Yes, I've heard of him. Do you know his history, Doctor? See here, Sir Guy, doctors are pretty much in demand these days. I assumed you were a patient wanted my help as a psychiatrist. If you just wanted to swap old wives' tales about famous crimes, perhaps we might arrange dinner. This is no old wives' tale, Doctor. This is a matter of life and death. What is? But listen. London, 1888. Out of nowhere, a shadowy figure with a knife haunting the squalid dives of Whitechapel and Spitalfield. Six times that knife descended into the throats and bodies of London's women. Thirty-nine stab wounds, the paper said the first time. August 31st, another victim. On September 8th, watchmen making their rounds in the gray dawn stumbled across the third hacked and horrid thing. I understand he used his knife rather well. He was an expert doctor. And where did he learn? At the operating table? The butcher's block? Some said on the police force. On November 9th, A sixth victim was found on the floor of her room. Panic in the grandstand? Yes, but needless panic. Months passed, a year. They said Jack had escaped to America. They said he committed suicide. They've been saying things ever since. You tell the story very well, but I'm afraid that's all the time I can give you today, Sir Guy. I haven't finished. I'm anxious to hear the rest of your story. Dr. Carmine, 
I am on the trail of Jack the Ripper. I've tracked him here to Chicago. You've tracked... See here, Sir Guy. Oh, what was the date of those London murders? 1888. If Jack the Ripper were even born that year, he'd be, uh, he'd be 56 today. I'd say Red Jack would be good and dead about now. Would he? Or should I say would she? Because the Ripper may have been a woman, you know. Do you think I'm insane, Doctor? No. Well, then you might listen to my reason for thinking the Ripper is still alive. I have been studying these cases for 13 years. Talked to officials, friends of the poor drabs he killed. And then I started studying unsolved murders all over the world. Followed a trail of blood. I could show you clippings from San Francisco, Shanghai, Berlin, Cairo, Milan. Eighty-seven. Eighty-seven such murders. And all had the trademark of the Ripper. You remember the uh, New Orleans torso slayings last summer? Well, vaguely. A colleague of mine attended the hearing. Then surely you remember two recent ones here in Chicago. One out on South Durban in September, and then a few weeks ago there was another very much like it up on Posted. Yeah. Well, Doctor? You're a criminologist. But, but figure it out, Sir Guy. If Red Jack were, say, 30 in 1888, he'd be 86 today. And no man of 86 could have butchered up that Halstead corpse. Suppose he didn't get any older. Suppose Red Jack knew how to stay young. But people do grow old, Sir Guy. Murderers, too. Whether they're women or butchers or scientists, they grow old. What about sorcerers? Who? Necromancers, wizards, practices of black magic. Now, see here, Doctor. I have studied the dates of those 87 murders, and they have an astrological significance. Suppose Red Jack didn't murder for murder's sake alone. Suppose he wanted to make a sacrifice. What kind of a sacrifice is that? It has been said that if you offer blood to the dark gods when the moon and the stars are right, they grant boons. Boons of eternal youth. I don't understand, Tagai. I'm not an authority on witchcraft, nor even an amateur criminologist. Why have you come to me? Because Jack the Ripper is here in Chicago, and through you, I am going to capture him. Doctor. Uh, morning, Canister. Well, how did his lordship turn out last night? Hmm. He's the most exciting patient we've had in months. Uh, he's not a patient, Canister, at least not yet. Shouldn't he be? Well, I can't tell. He talks so convincingly. Maybe there is a shred of reality in the story. It's real enough to him, Lord knows. Oh, excuse me, Doctor. Yeah. Dr. Carmody's office. Uh, may I speak with Dr. Carmody, please? It's most urgent. Uh, one moment. His lordship again. Oh, for so. Hello? It's Guy Hollis, Doctor. Oh? Any new clues turn up overnight? You're willing to go through with it? Oh, just this minute sent my nurse out for a magnifying glass and a pair I of handcuffs. I don't think that'll be necessary, Doctor. Now, look here, Sir Guy. How can I possibly help you? I have good reason to believe the Ripper is among your acquaintances. What good reason? I'll tell you when I see you. I understand Lester Fenton, a friend of yours who writes a column for the Sun-Herald, has invited you to a party tonight. Yes, that's right. How did you know that? I hope that you'll take me with you. Take you with me? I told you that I have plotted the astrological chart. The Ripper must make a sacrifice before this night passes. Okay. Uh, how about um, supper first? Splendid. 
Uh, pick me up at about 7.30. Thanks awfully, Doctor. All right. Bye. Are you sure you're doing the right thing? Well, that's why I wanted him to suffer first. If he proves dangerous, I'll manage to sidetrack him somehow. I hope Lester is in. Uh, I know. Hatchet murder on Polk Street. No, no murder yet, Lester. But if you don't become conscious, there may be. Oh, oh, John. Yes, that's right. Now, look, old man, is it okay if I bring someone to the party tonight? Oh, sure, John. Well, like a... It's a guy from the British consulate. Well, all the better. Manpower shortage and all that. Now, listen, Les. Uh, he's... Well, he's kind of a strange duck. I'm not sure yet whether his head is on right. That's okay. Uh, plenty of company. See you tonight. Right. And after all that remains now is for Sir Guy and I to attend the party tonight and capture the Ripper. What are you talking about? Well, Sir Guy says the Ripper will be there tonight. You're joking. I am, yes. But Sir Guy isn't. And perhaps he's right. But I still don't know who you're hoping to find at Lester's party tonight, Sir Guy. A few writers, a painter, singer, all fairly normal. How about so is the Ripper? Perfectly normal. Except on certain nights. Mm -hmm. Then he becomes an ageless, pathological monster crouching to kill. On evenings like tonight, when the stars are arranged in blazing patterns of death. But why among my friends... Because they are the kind of people the Ripper seeks out. Yes, but I warn you, Sir Guy, once these people find out what you're up to, you'd better be prepared for just about anything. I'll be ready. Look. What's that you've got there? See here, Sir Guy, you can't go around among my friends with a gun in your pocket. Oh. Then you keep it before me. Yeah. But be prepared to use it. Sure. Well, come on. The party should be in full swing by now. Well, Sir Guy, are you enjoying yourself? Immensely, John. Your friends are very charming. Except that one of them is Jack the Ripper, huh? Perhaps. And if I get the opportunity, I think I'll show you how we can find out. Well, soon, I hope. It's one o'clock. I should be leaving. Leaving? Leaving? Who said leaving? Are you trying to spoil my party, John? Oh, well, Lester, it is late. Don't I'm be re- a killjoy, John. I've hardly met our honored guest. Oh, dear. I... Are you here on a military mission, Sir Guy? Uh, not exactly. Well, then, if it's not secret... It's... Oh, not at all, Mr. Benton. I'm on the trail of Jack the Ripper. Jack... Well, it's rude of us to be so curious. <laughs> Sir Guy has an idea that Jack the Ripper is prowling around Chicago, Les, and he's out to find him. Oh, really? Uh, Sir Guy is serious. Well, he should be. According to some old files I've read, Red Jack was something of a minute. Had some uh, ripping good times. <laughs> oh, Les, your puns get worse daily. Oh, then I'll Sir bad. Guy is sure that the Ripper is responsible for the South Dearborn murder. And the one up on Halstead a few weeks ago. Uh, you've covered them, Les. What's your idea? be. Very neat carving on both of them. But the oh, victims were men. <laughs> I thought the Ripper was only interested in women. Oh, not at all. It's probably occurred to you that the uh, women we know the Ripper sought were fairly vivid symbols. 
a uh, kind of living comment on the society which he detested. Oh, yes. And then just as our laws change and our society changes, so then must his victims change. With each new age, the ripper discovers a new symbol of protest. But tell us, Sir Guy, which do you hope to find here? The ripper or the symbol? Yes, I'm rather curious about that. The ripper. All right, boys and girls, we're trapped. Let's face it. <laughs> I told you he was serious. I know, John, but what can you consider it? How still? Uh, I've got it. Uh, Laverne, let's have that bread knife there on the sideboard. Oh, Les. Thanks. Uh, Sir Guy has come a long way on a difficult mission, so let's give him a fair chance. I'll turn out the lights for one minute, and Sir Guy can stand here in the middle of the room with the bread knife. Now, if uh, anyone here is the Ripper, they can either make a break for it or take the opportunity to... Uh, well, eradicate the pursuer. That's fair enough, Sir Guy. Fair enough, Weston. Uh, Laverne, some uh, suitable background music, please. Uh, something Wagnerian, you know. Now, choose your partners for the kill, ladies and gentlemen. Every 60 seconds of darkness for evil to make its cosmic presence known. Unchallenged, unmolested, let the river ride. A minute for death. At the end of which, we'll look for the bodies. Uh, ready? <laughs> <laughs> All right, silence! Now, turn out the lights. <laughs> Don't anyone move! Let the affirmative forces return. Let there be light. Look there on the floor. It's Sir Guy. My lord, he's been stabbed. Here, let's pick up the body no, and get it off. Look, I guess nobody had better touch the body. Look. What is it? I mean, well, doesn't Hollywood recommend the police in moments like this? For heaven's sake, Les. I swear, Les, I, I didn't want to bring him, but he insisted. He said he'd plotted the chart. He said he was certain the Ripper would use his knife before the night was out. I don't suppose we ought to move him, do you? What? Well, uh... I'll call the police. For heaven's sake, lad. Look, if you have any ideas what we should do, Nigel, I'll shoot. Whoever goes to get the police could just as easily make a neat getaway. Lord, Les, if he was right about the river. Uh... But I wasn't, John. <laughs> so, God, wait a minute. Look at me. Now, wait, I really don't think that's quite the kind of a joke we should have had. Uh, please, um, uh, forgive me, Nigel, for frightening you so. When you were all so innocent. Uh, what is a guy? What do you mean? Hold it! Hold it, everybody! Are you sure about our innocence, Sir Guy? Oh, yes. You see, if the Ripper were here, he would have betrayed himself when he saw me lying there. Not, not a very gentle spoof, I'm afraid. Oh, oh, sure, it was. Gentle like a ton of bricks. Yeah, come on, let's get a drink. Huh? Let's get away Well, John, uh, we leave. It's getting rather late. Yes, Sir Guy. Oh, you can shut your mouth now, Nadia. The game's over. Oh, for heaven's sake. I'll get your coats. Thanks. Well, goodbye, uh, everyone, and uh, forgive me if I gave you an unnecessary scare. Oh, they've forgotten about it already, Sir Guy. Good night, Les. Thanks. Don't mention it, John. Come around again, Sir Guy. I'd like to. Good night, Lester. Good night. I suppose you're thinking that I'm guilty of 
the same sort of sensational tricks as our friend the Ripper, but I want only to rid the world of a devilish fiend who lives by the blood of others. As Les said, they've all forgotten it by now. Well, I guess I was wrong to seek him out as a party. You know, we're far more likely to find him out here in the darkness and the fog. Perhaps along a lonely, shadowed street such as this. Or perhaps in a neglected dead end. Like this one here. Not so dire. Please, do me one more favor. It's only a hunch, but let's turn up this alley. See what it has to offer. Remember, the Ripper must make a sacrifice tonight. Well, as long as I've gone this far. Thanks, Ambrose. Yes, this is what the Ripper likes. Small gaping alleyway. Hardly noticeable to the rest of the city. It'll be in a hidden corner like this where I'll capture him. And I'll turn the bloody swine over to the police. He's a mad beast, John. An ageless monster let loose on the world. There's nothing up here to die. No, just to the end of the alley, John. And we'll turn back, I promise. Look, Sir Guy, don't you think this is carrying a hobby a little too far? A hobby, John? In 1888, one of those nameless drabs the Ripper killed was my mother. What? Yes. My father spent his life searching for the Ripper. Caught up with him, too, about 1926 in Hollywood, where he was stabbed in a brawl. The police never learned who it was. But I know it was the Ripper. And I'll live till I find him. I swear I will. Let me have my gun now, John. You've left your friends, and I feel safer with my gun on me. I'll see here, Sir Guy. Oh, please, John, now let me carry the gun. Now let me have it, John. Please. All right. You insist. John. It's not a gun. It's a knife. I know. John. John, what are you doing? Never mind the John. Call me Jack. No, no. <gasps> I didn't get you out of bed, did I? Yes, the police picked John up this morning. The guy? Oh, he's dead, all right. What oh, horrible, Les. Well, of course he's in a cell. All right, Les, I'm going in now and talk to John. Insane? Of course he must be. Right, Les, I'll meet you here at the jail. Time's up now, John. I'd better be going. Just one more thing, Hannister. For some reason, I want you to understand. You see, Sir Guy was right. I did have to make an offering before the night was over. I didn't want for it to be him, Hannister. But up there in that alley, I realized he was as determined as I. No, Canister, I still wonder who at that party was astute enough to send the police after me so quickly. Lester, perhaps. Huh? Police won't tell me, but I'll find out, Canister. And if it was Lester, he'll know I found out. But what difference can it make now? Oh, the police haven't won yet, Canister. 
The gods won't let me down. They never have. Sir Guy was right about that, too. I am eternal. I have no age, you know. I never shall. Well, I'll be going. I'll miss you. Bye, John. Bye, Kenister. died ten times over. Why, Les? He's safe today. The charge, you know. I still died ten times over. He suspected that you would call the police. As long as he doesn't suspect you put me wise. Now, will you tell me how you found out about it? I was emptying the wastebasket after Comedy left last night for the party. Mm-hmm. I discovered a lot of astrological plotting in his handwriting. And that Englishman words. Couldn't forget them. Comedy just told me the gods won't permit him to be executed. He thinks he really is Jack the Ripper. He's insane, Les. Oh, and I was afraid you'd say that. Well, what do you mean? Any doctor will tell you he is insane. I know they will. They'll also tell the jury. So? So, the law doesn't execute the insane. It allows them to live. You mean? Who knows, Kenister? Who knows? <laughs> 